At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is M.I.P. With Masamela Matfumal. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Folks, as many of you know, it's no secret. Color Change is one of my favorite organizations. The work that they are doing is absolutely incredible and urgent as always. And they have weighed in along with the ACLU and other organizations around clemency uh, for those who were released from incarceration under the CARES Act. They even took out a full Washington Post full page ad to tell us all about it and over 150,000 petitions that were delivered to the White House around this issue. Here with us is Scott Roberts, the Senior Director of Criminal Justice and Democracy Campaigns at Color of Change. Brother Scott, how are you, man? I'm doing very well. You know, I appreciate the love. You know, the, it, it is reciprocal. Color, color change. We got a lot of love for uh, for you, Mark, and for you know the Make It Plain team. And we just see you even even when you're not you know on the airwaves putting in the good fight for things like voting rights. So we know you know we are we're partners in this in this struggle. Um, yes, but but I'm I'm doing well, man. We're you know we're keeping up the fight for these folks, as you mentioned. So just to bring people up to speed, because of COVID and what have you, there were people who were released, correct? Right. Like you said, in 2020, uh, when Congress passed the CARES Act, one of the provisions was relief that empowered the uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons to release incarcerated people from federal prison to finish their sentences in on home confinement, meaning that you're at home and you're, being, you're under state supervision. You're not necessarily on house arrest. You can leave, return to your community, get a job. And most of these folks have. And that's because prisons were and continue to be a hotbed for the spread of COVID-19. You can imagine that you can't do any of the things that we're told to do in prisons, right? They were not allowing folks to wear masks. Hand sanitizer is illegal in prisons. It's considered contraband. You can't social distance. And so many of the worst hotspots in the country around COVID throughout the pandemic have been prisons, jails, immigration detention centers, and uh, something like 660,000 folks have contracted COVID in prison, and nearly 3,000 people have died from COVID in prison since the pandemic. And so um, that was the need for this provision in the CARES Act. And it's really up to the Bureau of Prisons to determine who would be eligible to be released. They uh, instituted a very arduous, rigorous (laughs) approach, and they, you know, identified about 24 thousand people who they decided to release. These folks are all either elderly, immunocompromised. Most of them have very little time left on their sentences. In fact, most of these people were pretty much at the end of their sentence, right? So about Mm -hmm. 20,000 of the 24,000, just in the time since they've been released, they've completed their sentences. So they're free now. There's about 4,000 people 
who are still under threat of being returned to prison. Again, again these are folks who have returned to their communities as a 99% quote unquote success rate for the program, meaning that these folks have not violated the, the terms of their release. Yeah, we're, so we're fighting to make sure that these kind of folks who are, again, mostly elderly or folks who have serious health issues aren't returned to prison. And if it were to color change, even more would have been released. Because, I mean, 25, 24,000 is like a drop yeah. in the bucket. One of the problems is that the Bureau of Prisons is using a risk assessment tool. It's called Pattern. It was found by the Department of Justice, which you know is connected to BOP, to be discriminatory, like in other contexts. These risk assessments, they're computer algorithms where you put in a person's information and it tells you how much of a threat they are if you send them home. One thing about these technologies, they're often put forward and then we're told that they're about making it more fair, right? We just use the data, the data's blind, where a judge might, you know, be racist or something like that. But guess what? <laughs> the data is already racist, right? So you put racist data in, you get racist outcomes out. When you put in things, um, whether they be the zip code a person lives in or, you know, their past arrests, which may have also been, you know, a result of bias, things of that nature, they tend to release more more white people than black people, frankly. So that's one of the challenges. And I think, you know, just generally, we think the, the standards were, as you said, too high and there should have been more people released. But now, well, once they were released, the Biden, this gets to the crux of the ad, doesn't it? Right, right. Biden said, we're going to get clemency for these people. Didn't he? Wasn't that something he promised? Well, w- w- the ad addressed Biden's campaign promises. Biden, and the ad said, uh, that, and it's true that Biden on the campaign promised that he would cut the federal prison pop population in half. Right, um, right. So far, there has been no progress towards that goal. You know, it was something that they, they created a, a plan around during the campaign. You know, he was very keen to talk about it, especially when visiting Black communities. But, you know, we, we've yet to see any real action around it. And that's what we're saying to him, that if you won't release these 4,000 people from home confinement from the from the risk of being returned to prison. I feel like that's something we haven't really talked about yet, right? These folks are at under under two threats of being returned to prison. One, when the CARES Act basically says that these folks will be returned to prison at the end of the emergency, you know, so once the emergency that was declared for the pandemic ends, so does this program. So these people will be sent back. So if, you know, we all know the pandemic emergency is not gonna end tomorrow, but if it did, these folks would be on the hook for going back to prison. And there's a DOJ memo that was written by the Trump administration, but has been upheld, unfortunately, by the Biden Justice Administration that says, yes, they will have to go back. And these folks are even being told that they may have to pay to return to prison. So you got to pay for the bus ticket or whatever that's going to take you back to prison. And really, as the pandemic gets longer, I think it's even more egregious, right? Because these folks could be home two, three years. We don't know when this is going to really reach the point where we can declare the emergency over, right? So these folks are under threat. The second threat of them returning to prison is they can be returned to prison for violating conditions of their release. And we saw this happen with Gwen Levi. Sure, many of your listeners probably saw Gwen Levi's story. It went viral. We have been working closely with her and her family and uh, Families Against Mandatory Minimums, which um, has really been supporting her to tell her story. But she was she's a 70-something-year-old woman, grandmother. She was returned home under home confinement. She got very involved with her community. I've had a chance to speak to a couple of her family members and to Gwen herself, but her family was just they talked about how they were nervous when she was first coming home. They were worried because she'd had her personal challenges in the past. But when she came home, 
Uh, they said she was a changed person. She mm -hmm. immediately got involved in her community and she wanted to get a job. The job required keyboard skills, typing, you know, mm -hmm. and so she signed up for a class. She asked her case manager, can I attend this class on multiple occasions? She had to go to class again. I think her thinking was just like, oh, it's been approved over and over. I'm, I'm approved to go to this class. And so she went to the class. While, while in class, she turned her phone off to focus because they couldn't reach her. They said she violated her terms. And the technical classification of what she did was escape. So she was reincarcerated. Yeah. On, you know, and basically accused of trying to escape, you know, when it was clear what she was doing was it was a part of her reintegrating back, you know, into into her community. So, you know, these folks are under threat of very minor kind of violations returning to prison as well, which is a larger issue. Right. Because, you know, whether it was the Meek Mill case or other cases that we've seen, you know, this kind of pattern where technical violations, people violating parole or probation conditions is driving mass incarceration because, you know, things that are not even illegal for the rest of us, small things that they might do can get them sent back to prison, not, you know, for something fitting the small thing they did, but returning them to being punished for the initial offense, right? So those are some major threats. And so, you know, this is why it's so critical that Biden act now and not wait for the emergency to end or something like that, because people like when Levi can be sent back to prison for very minor violations. Luckily, because people were fighting for her, judge saw that what happened was ridiculous and she was released on compassionate release. But there are many, many people who are still under threat of this type of thing happening. So. More MIP after this message. Hey, peeps, it's your girl, Danielle Moody, host of Woke AF Daily. Every weekday, I'm sounding the alarm and keeping you woke to all the pure evil that is going on in our country. Check me out now at patreon.com slash woke AF. Get five new shows every week for just $5 a month. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Let me go back for a minute. Bro, you mean tell me mm -hmm. that I can be released under the CARES Act but once that runs out, they can come and take me back to prison. They are going to take you back to prison. Like legally right now, there's a binding memo in the, from the Justice Department that says these people have to be returned back to prison. And I don't know if they'll come and take you because they're telling people you got to pay your own way. back. And they want me to pay. Right. Like, like right. I'm going to do that. Right. <laughs> and if you don't, I guess that's when they're going to come and get you. Right. But so same uh, thing. They come. To, yeah. One way or another. I either I'm paying for it or they're coming to get me. Right. And again, yeah, that's. These are old folks. These are people who are sick. You know, these are, yeah. are and again, a 99% success rate where these folks have not been offending, not violating. So we know this is not about public safety. This isn't about good policy. This isn't about the humane thing to do. I think, you know, like too many politicians in the country right now, the Biden administration is showing itself to be kind of fearful of any kind of backlash that would happen if, if even like one of these people caught another charge or something like that. And we just think that is just an unfair position and it's driven by political motivations rather than, you know, doing the right thing. Yeah. Like you said, driven out of fear and being chicken and not standing with the constituency that got you elected to office in the first place. Yeah. While we're going in on the Biden administration, I will say that they've been, they've given in a little bit over the last couple of weeks to the, to the pressure. And so they've started what they're calling an expedited clemency process for, for a segment of these people, people who have nonviolent drug offenses and have less than four years left with their sentences are being encouraged to apply for clemency. For us, that's not good enough for a couple of reasons. One is they are cutting it too, too narrow and, you know, they're, they're going back to that issue again, which is one of the reasons why we're having such a hard time bringing down incarceration rates because politicians are only comfortable 
with, you know, <laughs> releasing nonviolent drug offenders, even though many of these people have served years, decades in prison and are, are now elderly and are not likely to return to the things that got them into prison. And then the other issue is that we don't want folks to have to go through the clemency process, applying for clemency. The White House can issue a mass clemency to a class of people. So they can say everyone under this program is granted clemency. Right now, there are 15,000 people in the queue for clemency. The, the Biden administration has not granted clemency to anyone. There have been campaigns from day one of the administration, um, fantastic organization, the National Council of Incarcerated Women and Girls has been leading on that fight. They had a campaign that called on the administration to, to grant clemency to 100 women in the first 100 days. They did not grant clemency to anyone. And so there's a long line. Expedited clemency means that either these folks have to get in that line or they're getting moved to the front of the line, which means there's 15,000 people still waiting for being put back. So for us, you know, we want Biden to do what, he, what he's fully capable of doing which is basically waving a wand and saying, hey, these folks are free. And it's not like he's skipping over the clemency process because people had to do go through this extreme vetting to be released in the first place. So these are all people who have been vetted to the fullest extent. And so it's it, in some ways, it's redundant for them to go back through the clemency process and have to wait for that to play out and potentially prevent other people's applications from moving forward through what the Biden administration has put forward in the last couple of weeks. But the good thing is, I think, and for especially for folks listening who are who may want to join in this campaign, is that that we are seeing success, right? That the administration has shifted significantly. A few months ago, they were basically, there was, I think, a Washington Post or New York Times article where they said, no, we, we can't do this, you know, <laughs> at all. And so they've already shifted. So I, we do think that if we can keep the pressure up, if they're clear that their constituents want this, then we'll see them broaden the program that they've started and hopefully grant folks immediate clemency. And a part of the expression of people wanting this is within the petitions you deliver to the White House, right? Right. What, so, what do those petitions specifically demand? Yeah, they, they demand just exactly what we've been talking about, that the president grant mass clemency to the 4,000 plus people on home confinement under the CARES Act. And yes, we Today, you know, this week we've sent in 155,000 petitions to the White House, 107,000 of those being from Color Change members. But in addition to that, uh, we've generated thousands of letters, individual letters from our members to the White House, phone calls, letters and phone calls to members of Congress. I want to shout out members of Congress, including Representative Jayapal, Representative Bush, who have been leading a like a dear colleague letter, getting support from members of Congress who are, of course, influ influential. So we've our members have also written and called their members of Congress, asking them to sign on to that letter. So if folks want to get involved and, and take any any of these kinds of actions, um, they can text clemency to five five one five six. That's clemency to so five five one five six. And you know we start with the petition, and but we'll be asking folks to take follow up actions. And we, you know, we're going to keep the pressure on for sure. That's welcome, folks. Please, uh, we'll repeat that before we go so you can text that information. But as you said, the pledge was to cut mass incarceration in half. In half. So, so beyond mass clemency, mm -hmm. um, which is totally appropriate, you got mass incarceration, you need mass clemency. Can't do a piecemeal. And, and we know that the government barely has the resources to commute 15,000 people one by one. I don't even know why they want to do that. More MIP after this message. And another point I hope you all heard Brother Scott say, these people are already vetted right. when they got sent home in the first place. So to go back and we're going to do another vet 
and do some more scrutiny is a, is a, is a waste of time and resources also. Yes. But, Brother Scott, in order to cut mass incarceration in half beyond what the CARES Act has done, beyond what the petition calls for, mm-hmm. what do we want to demand the Biden administration do and what do we demand they do immediately? Yeah, so I do think, you know, before we move off of clemency, I do think that's got to be one of the tools and it has to be expanded exponentially, basically, the resources that are invested in the clemency process and granting people clemency, right? That is kind of unilateral power that the White House has. I think there's lots of things that Congress could do, but I think, you know, as we see with voting rights, as we see with infrastructure, you know, um, getting Congress to move forward, even just getting the Democrats aligned on basic things that would serve our communities, especially Black communities, seems to be a real challenge. So we do want to make sure that pressure's on the White House to be doing those things, to be releasing people when they have the power to do so. But I think we need major, you know, major reforms to our system to to cut the population in half, right? And that would, I think, mean decriminalization. We often talk about the front end and the back end in these in these kind of advocacy spaces around prison reform and, and decarceration. There's mm-hmm. a front end and a back end, right? On the front end, there's, you know, first of all, what's illegal? You know, are there things that we're currently incarcerating people for drug offenses, uh, maybe sex crimes, things of right. that, nature that don't necessarily need to need to be criminalized. Right. People may need help and support, but do they need to be placed in a cage? We don't think so. There's also on the front end sentencing reform. Right. How do we continue to close the gap on things like the cocaine and crack disparity? Uh, we had one of the brothers who participated in our petition delivery to the White House and spoke about his experience. Uh, a brother named Kendrick out of Amarillo, Texas, is was incarcerated on a drug offense. And um, when he was sentenced, it was a 100 to 1 disparity between cocaine and crack sentencing. And during the Obama administration, that was cut to 18 to 1. But, you know, no one can, to this day can explain to me why it's not 1 to 1. Right. Right. But even then, one of the things that's, dr- that's driving mass incarceration right now, as we're starting to, to address some of the issues in the system, is the sentencing, the, the ways in which that we reacted to, whether it be violence in our communities, a supposed spike in drug use, or whatever, during the 70s, 80s, 90s, was constantly saying, we're going to give people longer and longer sentences, and that'll deter them from taking these actions. Well, one, we've seen that didn't deter people. But what it did do is fill our prisons up with an aging population, right? Like, so people are getting older and older in these prisons because they've been there forever. And so, we, we, you know, while we might be saying, hey, we're going to stop incarcerating people for low-level drug offenses, things like that, and we might be slowing the, the stream of people going in, we can't fully bring down that population until we, until we start reforming some of these sentences. Um, so I think those things are really important. I think there's more that we can do along the lines of what was in the First Step Act, right, where they were addressing how people on the back end can get out with things like good, you know, good behavior, going through certain programs, things of that nature. Obviously, that could be a lot more robust and give more people an opportunity to to get home. We need, as I was saying earlier, probation and parole reform. Too many people who are home not doing any real harm are getting sent back to prison on kind of bureaucratic violations like what happened to Gwen Levi, like what happened to Meek Mill, you know, as another famous case that everyone's familiar with. And one of the things, this is the last thing I'll say is our big focus right now is actually shifting how we think about public safety. I think 
there's like a transformation that we have to go through as a country really to address this, right? Like we have to shift away from the idea that every social ill or community challenge is to be solved with policing, with prisons, with jails, with deportation, and think about how we can build more systems of support and care for people in, and communities in crisis. And so we've been fighting for a number of things, um, things that are actually up right now in Congress, like funding for Cory Booker's Ending the Cycle of Violence Act, which would fund community-led anti-gun violence programs around the country. This is These are the programs that you know many of us are familiar with, where you have community members, people who have actually been through <laughs> the systems of violence, both in our communities and in our criminal justice system, who are more trusted, who can resolve issues and disputes, but also just giving our communities the resources they need to thrive. Economic investment, investment in education and healthcare, mental health care for our communities. We think these are the things that not only will keep our communities safer, but also allow us to end the constant reliance on incarceration. The only other piece I would lift up is also the People's Response Act. This is another piece, another bill sponsored and started by Representative Cory Bush out of St. Louis, which again funds those same types of programs, right? And would make a massive investment in our communities in terms of public safety outside of what we would call the carceral system, right? Again, policing, right. prisons, jails, all of that. Yes. Yeah. All of those things are important. But just as you're speaking about that, let me ask a question. Sure. You mentioned an aging population. Yeah. And this goes back to the war on drugs, so to speak. Right. Many people nonviolent. This should have been treated as an illness rather than 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 so much criminal activity is interesting the 30 for 30 that came out last week was po is popular once upon a time in queens and mm -hmm. it talks about not only good and strawberry but all the mets were on drugs right right when they won the world championship but looking back at it almost 40 years ago everybody's talking about oh you know this was sad people going through things and we should have that, well, we should have dealt with it like, like that back then and not criminalize everybody that we did. But but having said that, since you mentioned aging population, I have a question, mm -hmm. Scott. People, even those who are being released under the CARES Act, people who are aging. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm going on 70 or in my 60s when I'm released, mm -hmm. how difficult must it be for me to come out and even get a job at that age? How do I provide for myself? That's, that's exactly why... I how good Levi ended up going back to prison, right? right, because right. She was trying to get a job. She had been incarcerated for, you know, many years and didn't have the kind of skill sets for a lot of modern jobs, namely like computer skills, right? And, um, you know, even before she was incarcerated, right? She wasn't part of that part of the economy, right? And like, we could all, we can even go, go deeper and say, you know, the lack of investment in our communities pushes our folks into these black market economies, you know, illegal economies that, that end up getting our folks incarcerated. But yeah, it's, I think it's very difficult. I think folks that we've talked to have been, I think, really fortunate. Their families have really looked out for them, taking them in. But yeah, I think, you know, some of these folks are, you know, past retirement age, right? So theoretically, they shouldn't be working, but they they may want to or they may may need to, right? right. Um, but I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to integrate, especially if you're someone who's been locked up since like the 90s or like the 95, 94 crime bill or something like that. And you're trying to reintegrate back into society. Um, we we kind of see this frequently when we talk to folks who are formerly incarcerated and just getting used to things like, you know, social media, using the internet for pretty much everything, can be challenges. And I think there's actually things we can be doing for folks while they're incarcerated, obviously, to prepare them. Like people can learn about these things while they're incarcerated. You know, I think it would have been obviously been great if Gwen had been given those types of classes while she was incarcerated. So she'd be more prepared 
and to, you know, take those jobs. Uh, so I think that's, you know, again, another thing that we should be calling for. But yeah, I think it's very difficult. And just think when you're adding on top of all of those challenges, these folks are living under the threat of being returned to prison. Being right? Returned. right, right, right. Think about yeah. how those things work together to kind of create a, all the challenges right. for someone mentally, emotionally. Yeah. No real career opportunities on the front end, no real career opportunities on the back end. So what are we really doing to and for people, exactly. especially for things that really are either shouldn't be criminalized or are disproportionately criminalized? That's what we're really up against. Folks, want you to get involved in this. I don't, and, and I've been saying this for 20 years. Um, most of us are maybe at, at, at most once removed from incarceration. If we haven't experienced it ourselves, we know someone who has, family member, friend, what have you. That's how commonplace it is, and it's far too much. Biden said it. He did say we've had his back. It's his time to have ours. We didn't script that. That's what he volunteered. And Color Change is trying to hold him honest to that. We should help and join with Color Change in doing that. Tell everyone again where to text the word clemency, please, Brother Scott. Yeah, text clemency to 55156. Again, 55156. Just catch us, you know, anywhere on social media. Just, you know, search Color of Change on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Um, and you'll 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 just scroll our timeline. You'll definitely see stuff about this campaign and, and all the other things that we're fighting for for black communities. He's the director of criminal justice and democracy campaigns at Color Change. Scott Roberts has been our guest, folks. Please get involved. Thank you, Brother Scott. Thank you, Mark. Take care. All right. All right. Wonderful. Thank you, brother. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.